Thank you for tuning in to Cosmic Conversations. Today's guest is an artist, illustrator, and designer, and I asked him to be on the show today to discuss how he uses his fundamental understanding of his craft to express the inexpressible. Art is all the same. The only thing that changes is the medium through which the artist expresses their consciousness. A musician may use certain chords to imbue their score with fear, whereas a writer may use certain words and a painter may use certain shapes. But the goal is always emotional expression. My guest for today is someone who has repeatedly inspired me to push my own understanding of the fundamentals of my own art form by acting as a shining example of the slow and steady march to progress. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with artist Everett Arce. I had a uh, ego death, an existential crisis, uh, after watching The Purple Rose of Cairo, yeah. and it really affirmed that no matter what happens in my life, the one thing that can't leave me is my skill right? and getting better. In, in art. Yes. And I think that's kind of, for me, um, a conversation. Because I, I, I tend to think, uh, when I think of like creating art, I think that art is kind of a manifestation of who we are mentally and emotionally on the inside. So all of these gaining skills and whatever art form you are is just a is just a method by of you kind of taking what's in your head and then laying it down and whatever it is you're doing. Skill sets are a prerequisite right. to being able to effectively communicate. Right, exactly. Whatever your medium is, whether that's through the piano or whether that's through a, a, a keyboard a right. writing or whether that's through a, 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 a paint, paints, whatever. Right. Um, so I think that for me, the... the, the, the the next level of that is understanding that your art soul is your soul soul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, you, the, the, the soul that you have is pure artistry. And then we, and that's in my head, what it is. Right. And then we communicate our soul outwards, which sounds very pretentious, but that's kind of how I've connected who I am inside to the artist is who manifests that inside right. outward. I, I had a conversation at the park with, uh, Eduardo mm-hmm. and, uh, it it reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. I I used to be amazed at mm-hmm. illustrators and designers, mm-hmm. um, and the reoccurring question was how how did they think of all these different things? How mm-hmm. did they apply all these different things right. and let it become this one image? Mm-hmm. Um, and fact is, they thought of everything. Yeah, none of it was by chance. Right, all of it was intent and skill. Yeah. There's there's no part of an image that isn't thought about and a decision made. Yeah. Right. Even when you get like abstract artists like Jackson Pollock, regardless of whether or not you think he, you know, what he did was was important or, you know, whatever you think of it is, uh, there was still intent behind the color choice and how he dripped the paints and how the paints were applied well, to the, the 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 canvas. His his whole or I'm no expert on him. Yeah. But his whole intent was, fuck it. I'm going to do this without intent. Yeah. And so, but in doing that, he still made that decision. Right. He still had intention to say, I'm going to create freedom. Right. And he did it. Yeah. And even though you can look at his pieces and of course, you know, he chose to use specific colors. He chose to do all of these different things and flash it across the canvas the way he did. Yeah. But he's still making those decisions. Right. Uh, deciding to be to be free. Yeah. But he's... He, yeah, he's making the decision to be free, exactly. which is still a decision. It's kind of like um, in Buddhism, you have to... The ultimate form of nirvana is freeing yourself from desire. 
right to free yourself from this but in order to free yourself from desire you also have to free yourself from the desire to free yourself from desire you know what i mean which is i mean like you have yeah you catch 22 right you have to you have to want to you have to not want to want something (laughs) (laughs) and that's the ultimate form of like peace within yourself Mm -hmm. uh to empty entirely there was a, a poem brought to my attention uh, very recently called The Edge. Um, oh, did I? Did Marcus show you that? Yes. Okay, because I showed that to Marcus. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I love Hunter S. Thompson. Um, oh, we can talk about him, too. I, I know a lot less of his work. I've yeah. listened to a few interviews. Yeah. Um, but it's crazy. With The Edge, I've, I've also met people who are looking for that and wanting to get as close as possible, mm-hmm. um, be it... Uh, th- there's so many different forms that can take. Right. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm dancing around something that's not mine to talk about. Um, but the edge is something that you can get close to. You're dancing with death, essentially. Right. Of course. That, yeah. That's that's what that poem comes to. Is yeah. you care enough to get as close as you can without ever actually doing it, mm-hmm. and that is the almost samurai esque control of i could take myself out at any moment but it won't happen Mm -hmm. or and if it does i'm at peace with that so the edge is not a poem it's uh an excerpt from uh the book hunter thompson wrote on the hell's angels the motorcycle gang um uh he he lived with them for a while and he talks about how they showed him the edge they showed him where the line between life and death is, which is, I, I don't remember what your point was in oh, bringing that um, up. Uh, getting close enough to death without caring and accepting it if you get there. I think, yeah, I think it's also just kind of an understanding that we constantly live between those places, between life and death. Uh, humanity, being alive is such a fragile thing in so many different ways. Um, you know, the Buddhists talk about no attachment, um, a living a life of, of impermanence and understanding that everything and everyone is going to die and fully accepting that, not holding anything back, um, which is a kind of freedom, right? Because we've talked before about how, like, so many of our ideologies are based around our fear of, fear of death. Mm-hmm. So then once you recognize that and you recognize your own impermanence, you recognize that you're going to die at some point within the next minute, right? It's not, not, not tomorrow, not 10 years from now. You have no reason to believe that you are going to last another minute. And in that, you achieve ultimate freedom of the self, mm-hmm. right? Because you have an understanding of your own. You, 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 you recognize your own unimportance. But you also understand your own importance in the sense that you have to live life yeah. as with as much hope and as much love as possible because you might not have another minute. It's the, the understanding that in the grand scheme of things, you are nothing, but you are everything to yourself and the people who care for you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's very hard. Yes. That's very hard. So who are your uh, artistic influences, you would say? Beksinski, Del Toro, um... Oh gosh, Mary Shelley, um, uh, Bram Stoker, Marshall Vandruff, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Flanders, um, Mo Kim, 
and Jim Dowdles, Philip Dimitriades. Uh, oh, and I'm, I'm missing a few, actually. Wayne Barlow. Mm-hmm. Wayne Barlow. I think it's so funny because initially I despised his work. Um, but as I've grown older, it's something that has had such an impact on my uh, my artistic outlook. So I noticed that you mentioned a few writers yes. in the list. How do you think writers have helped you become a better uh, illustrator and designer? Writers gave me images. Mm-hmm. Um, writers gave me images and things that I could associate with. So I, I go specifically back to uh, Mary Shelley. And maybe this sounds immature of me. Um, but there were so many instances in my life where I was the other. I was the isolated, the unacceptable. I was the monster in a lot of cases. Uh, my mother had a, um, a speech she gave to me one morning where she affirmed that I was the literal antichrist. Mm-hmm. And that sat with me mm-hmm. for a large portions of my life. I dealt with uh, a much more inflated ego because I believed I was the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a cool thing because of Hellboy, um, the good-hearted demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the monster in Frankenstein, going back to Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was intelligent, he was well-spoken, mm-hmm. and he was empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were all things that I saw as qualities, especially when... You got to see the reverse. You got to see what God was in Dr. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an evil man, mm-hmm. uncaring and unempathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the antithesis of his monster. Mm-hmm. Those are things that brought both images and a relatability. There's so much of that in my work and in my intentions now. Where if I can make other people understand that it's okay to be a little different. Yeah. And it's okay to be very different mm-hmm. um, to, to all varying degrees. I know that sounds kind of corny, but I stand by it. Mm-hmm. It's something that's really shaped my work, writers specifically. Mm-hmm. So I, and I noticed um, in, in my own work that I have had the kind of the opposite um, opposite relationship to painters and to illustrators in the sense that they help show me images <laughs> in the sense that it kind of, I think, what you're talking about. Um, you know, it, it's so much, it, it it's so hard when you're first starting out to, to kind of get a grasp on what you're seeing because you have to know what you're seeing in order to then put that outward right um you know that's the whole that's the whole purpose of art to take yeah. what's in your head and then put it on the paper well and, um, an image can tell so many different stories depending right. on the viewer right right so in my in my head when i'm when i am writing certain things i almost treat it like a painting in the sense that you know obviously you know how colors work the sky isn't isn't black the sky is 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 dark blues and navies and sometimes light blues mixed with purples and mixed with different colors. So, so painters have always, for me, been the method by which I've kind of learned how to see the world. Does that make sense? 
No, that that makes perfect sense. You know, the the in 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 my in my need to describe uh, how the water falls from the the cliff side. I'll look to a painter and I'll see where they highlighted certain colors and how, how they saw this. And then that gives me a better mental image in my brain of what I'm trying to get across. Mm -hmm. And I can use that, uh, in, in that same vein, how do you, how do you as a writer think that, um, you mean as a painter, sorry, how, <laughs> how do you as a, as a painter, uh, from a fundamental understanding of the art form, how do images, um, uh, express emotions? Okay. How do images and shapes express emotions? So, I, I there there's technical stuff that I really want to go into that I am not because it is boring and unnecessary and doesn't answer your question. Okay. Um, when it comes specifically to shapes, um, shapes are things that have kind of plagued and enriched humanity for an aggressive amount of time. We associate a lot of different shapes with peril or sex or food um a lot of our basic human needs are things that we can connect to shapes and so if i'm going to be as basic as possible i would say triangle bad triangle death box safety circle comfort that is an oversimplification but those things ring true. Uh, early humans are going to have to deal with animals that are aggressing them. Predators. Teeth. Um, humans have teeth, but yeah. ours are... Flat. Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of different things that... Like, that also goes for colors. Um, yeah. So not to veer too far away from shapes, but uh, black and yellow kill a fellow. Mm -hmm. And so the Spanish in the 16 and 1700s went from a color palette that was very earth-toned uh, to something that was dynamic, but also said, I have power to kill. Um, black in any color is pretty scary. Mm -hmm. um, they work well together. Uh, but to, to go back to your original question, shapes are something that we have these initial associations with and that we have uh progressed with and have stuck with throughout time uh kind, kind of like uh i would describe it like an archetype yes right like, exactly like there there are certain images and there are certain shapes and there are certain characteristics that that are so ingrained within our brains psychologically that we're just never not it's kind of like i i don't remember where i heard this i don't even know if it's necessarily right but i read somewhere that our our um our love for shiny things is connected to the fact that when we were uh, our, our ancestors on the plains of the African savanna, the way that they saw water was when it sparkled from the sun, hmm. right? So we associate water, this life-giving thing that we absolutely need. We love it. We need water, right? W water means life. Mm -hmm. So we associate the same sparkle with this with life. Mm -hmm. So so it's always going to be in our brain. Is that kind of that, along no, the same lines? That's, I think that is exactly along the same lines. Those shapes elicit a primal response. And what's more interesting is as we've grown and developed, there are things that different communities associate with those shapes in different configurations. And artists, painters, and composers will uh, 
use those to their advantage, not to elicit a immediate subject matter reaction, though that is also done. If you have a scary dog or a man with a knife, yes, scary. But as a, as a, as a painter specifically, as an illustrator specifically, and designer, you orchestrate things to resemble something specific to your audience. And so if I know I am designing for suburban uh, families and I want them to feel fear, then I'm going to find a shape that resembles something that constantly reminds them of danger. And maybe that is natural. Maybe that is the interior of a wolf's mouth. Um, that's really blatant, but if you compose it well, you can make someone feel like they're trapped inside of an animal's jaws. Um, yeah, there, there are different ways to attack it. it uh, I'll try to also give a positive example so I'm not completely negative. Um, if you're trying to make someone feel welcome, if you're trying to make someone feel safe, uh, then you would structure the composition in a way to where it resembles a sturdy house. Um, if you want them to feel even safer and familial, then you'll orchestrate your shapes in a way to resemble a woman's body, uh, a maternal um, mm -hmm. shape set. So that kind of that kind of leads into my next question. I feel like you've probably kind of already addressed it, but like how do how do shapes affect how you feel about characters? It's it's the same thing, it, right? It, it's definitely similar. Um, yeah, it, it, similar if not the same. Mm -hmm. um, again, if I'm doing a character or a painting, uh, there are. I can make the surface level of it drastically different from the shapes I've used to compose it mm -hmm. and give that different layers of meaning. And so I can make someone's body, again, feel like a wolf skull. Uh, so death and an animal that would aggress you. Yeah. Uh, but right. the top layer of it could be a kind woman. Right. That's uh, interesting. Cause so now you're cognitively... Fearing the woman, but you don't know why. Exactly. It's it's kind of like in um, in 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 music, right? There's there. I mean, it's all it all influences itself. Yes. But I'm thinking like um, one of my favorite musicals is uh is um is West Side Story, right? The um the the main the motif the main motif throughout the musical the main uh musical uh, uh melody is this um this this devil's chord this da 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 which is um a major chord with a with a flat second i think and it doesn't sound wrong necessarily but there's something underlying to it that makes you uncomfortable exactly. where you, you're recognizing it and you're like oh i don't know why i'm afraid yes. <laughs> but but something in my brain recognizes that this is evil for some reason the the goal with character design specifically and i'm more i am a creature designer first and foremost yeah but character design is a part of that and the same things the same lessons apply yeah um if i want a creature to feel friendly uh then i will orchestrate its shapes in a way where it is soft and round uh but that doesn't mean that creature is friendly because on the surface level i could give it alien or predator-esque features uh, to where it is something disturbing and horrifying to be near. Right, right. I'm thinking of like um, 
like Darth Vader, which is a more obvious choice, yes. right? He does. When you look at him, you're not meant to feel safe. <laughs> yeah, he he is death and power. Mm-hmm. Look at look at his face. Look at the the helmet. He's a samurai with a skull, um, a skull with no white, coated entirely in black. And then you go to his chest piece, and there are no natural colors. It is all buttons and dials and blinking he walks into the scene and is this otherworldly symbol of death and then when he is even further away from you his cape doesn't form a rectangle it forms a triangle that drapes off his shoulders he is walking triangle he is a walking (laughs) symbol of danger um and that's exactly what he's designed to be uh, there are plenty of other examples, but I, I could go on forever. Right. So, if um, do you have any advice or any kind of tips to help young designers and or illustrators or just artists in general? Um, absolutely. Uh, don't stop working. Uh, a lot of people are going to shut you down, and they may have your best interests at heart. But if you really intend to do this, it's going to take a long time, and that's okay. Uh, don't stop if you really want this. Also, figure out if you really want this, because it's, <laughs> it is right. not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of people I know who, they are skilled, they know what they're doing, but they get to 24, 25, and they are working in the industry, and they realize, shit, I wasted the first half of my life. This is not what I'm meant to do. So understand yourself. Spend as much time as you can figuring out how to be a good person and whether you really want this. I think we talked about it um, the other day that it's kind of, it's not really good for you and your artistic development to like hit it at like 21. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you just don't really know yourself as a person yet. Um, I, I know so many artists, so many painters, so many writers, so many comics who made it when they were like 19 and then they get to their mid twenties and they're like, Oh, I am not that person anymore. But now my style is stuck in what I was Yes, and they don't know how to break it. Yeah. And that's very hard. Um, I, uh, I mean, I could, I couldn't agree more. There, there are, there are cases of people where it's, you become dependent on your income as an artist for a style that you hate. Yeah. Um, there's there are plenty of examples of that in the art world, and so uh, again, to any any young artists who are listening, um, it's okay to take a while and spending time figuring out what genre you want to work in, whether you want to sell your stuff to companies or independently, whether you want to sell to adults uh, or children. Those are all things worth thinking about. I think I think Matisse um, said that just focus on being fundamentally and technically good, and then the style will evolve from that fundamental and technical skill. Yes, and I that that is something that I think is worth reinforcing as well, is get technically skilled, Get technically skilled to where no one, even the people who are saying like, hey, you, you shouldn't, you know, you should probably look into other careers. 
uh, or other things, yada, 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 um, get skilled to the point where they are incapable of saying, well, you're, you're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to paint, uh, draw, and design like a professional. And doing those will not, having that skill set will not ensure you have work. That will help, mm-hmm. but it guarantees nothing. And you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, it's a different example, but artistry represents itself in different ways. If you look at like somebody like Michael Jordan. And with that said, I don't think that you should ever have the intent of, I'm going to be the greatest ever. I think if you focus on being as great as you can be, as you as a person can, because everybody has different levels yeah. of skill within them. But if you look at somebody like Michael Jordan, who was a, an artist in his own right, basketball he was somebody who was also very 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 sound on his fundamentals on footwork on shooting which again it seems like it would compare but in the sense that like just master the basics yes and then you can experiment and learn how you work within the basics yes once you have a firm understanding of the fundamentals in any artistic field be it writing or sports or Mm -hmm. painting um and painting and designing are different things Designing is its own very intensive thing that you have to figure out. But I, uh, again, going back, you have to be competent at the fundamentals. You have to have undeniable skill. Mm-hmm. And that's something that will take years to develop. Right, right. I agree. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, ever for being on the show. I'm, um, I'm glad to be here, man. Cool. I appreciate your wisdom. Art is about emotion, understanding, and giving. It is the outward expression of our consciousness channeled through a medium, and it, like life, demands study. But it also demands freedom. Everett is right in urging all of us to practice, to have a fundamental understanding of what it is we're doing. But expression doesn't always have to be bordered by structure. Creating should, first and foremost, be a fun thing to do, regardless of whether or not it's good or technically proficient. I truly believe that a human being is, by nature, an artist. So do yourself a favor and do what makes you human. Paint a picture. Sing a song. Write a story. If only for the joy of doing so. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Conversations. And as always, stay weird.